Bryn Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, Airy, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. Welcome to New Retina Radio. Uh, I'm coming uh, here with you live with Dr. Alan Ho uh, from Philadelphia at Mid-Atlantic Retina at Wells Eye Hospital. And we are here with our uh, retina leaders in Asia uh, who are in Singapore, uh, Thailand, and Korea. Uh, we're going to focus today on the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic, learn from their experiences, um, and discuss uh, their perspective um, on the pandemic. Uh, so here we have Dr. Sung Young Yu, uh, Chief of Ophthalmology at Kyunghee University in Seoul, Korea. Uh, Dr. Paizan Rimvipunsuk, who is the immediate press president of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists of Thailand and the Chief of Ophthalmology at Rajavitsi Hospital. And Dr. Daniel Ting uh, from Singapore National Eye Center, who's really one of the leading experts in artificial intelligence and just published a, a wonderful publication on COVID-19. Uh, Dr. Ho, do you have any words? No, we're excited for our guests to be here and those listening and watching us, and let's get rolling. Perfect. So let's first start from, uh, from, from South Korea. Uh, you were one of the early uh, places that, that had COVID-19 and had an early response to this. So Dr. Yu, if you can just start off with your experiences and give your perspective on, on how you all managed the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, after the crisis in the late February, the number of new diagnostic cases is uh, continued to decrease. So right now, today we had the 27, the new cases. And right now in Korea, we are struggling to start or go back to the normal life. So government uh, pronounced that if we have um, the cases, the number of cases under the 50 for a week, the school will start um, as um, online and the face-to-face -face class. Great. And then maybe we can give or the mic now to uh, Dr. Wim Vipunsuk um, to give your overview about the, uh, the issues in Thailand. Yeah, thank you, Paul. This is the situation in Thailand at the moment. You can see the blue graph is increasing. Uh, that's in terms of accumulated cases. We have more than 2,400 cases now. However, we didn't have this in all of the provinces. We have cases in uh, 68 of 77 provinces. We have uh, 34 deaths so far. We're quite lucky. And you can see the, the red graph down below. Uh, that's the, the new cases per day. We have the highest new cases per day of about 188 cases, new cases back in March 22nd. And as of from today, we have only 50 new cases per day. Today, as of today, it's quite lucky. This is from TV this morning. This, I'm gonna show you the proportion of tests in each countries. I think it's quite interesting. You see the number of tests per million that's uh, represented in pink circle. 
you see, Italy is the country that have the most tests per million. Uh, they perform around 11,000 tests per million already. The second one is South Korea. And the third one is USA. USA perform like uh, more than 5,000 tests per million. But you, if you see the, uh, the second column, the positive cases per case, you can see Italy have around 18.6% uh, positive per, per test. You see South Korea is only 2.2%. You can see USA is 18.9, it's around the same proportion as Italy. But you can see France is 42, almost 43%. It's quite high in Western countries. This is quite interesting. You see Thailand, we perform only like 1,000 tests per million and we found positive cases of around 2.9%, which is around the same as South Korea. I think we have a little bit discrepancy between countries in Asia and Western countries at the moment in terms of positive cases. I'm gonna share with you, this is the, the picture of the acute respiratory infection clinic in Rasri Hospital. This is a area in front of the main building. You can see the brow building there. We just constructed this about uh, two weeks ago. It's been donated by a private company in Thailand. I'll take you to inside. This is inside the clinic. We have a positive pressure room. And you can see the windows. The patient's gonna uh, face up out of this room. And you can see just only that face through the window. You can see uh, this is the way the patient register to the clinic. They just do the non-contact registration to the clinic. I'm gonna take you to the eye clinic. Yeah, you can see here it's quite empty. Normally it's full. You see the white paper on the seats there. It means uh, patients are not allowed to be seated there. So we keep patients in distance, social distancing in the clinic as well. This is how we measure acuity in the clinic. The nurses still keep patient distancing. And here's how we perform renal examination. Well, uh, we have the plastic shield at the street lamp. And you see the renal specialists, they dress up from uh, the head with the hat and the face mask and the gown as well. But however, we still need to carry the lens pretty close to patient's eye. But well, we should be careful about that. This is the way we perform, well, intraocular procedure in the outpatient department. We have a kind of plastic box cover the patient and patient's still wearing the mask. And you can see the, um, the doctors dress up, well, like in full setting to perform this procedure. Here's a summary of the service from our department of Rajasthan Hospital. In terms of uh, outpatient, the number of cases per day. Before COVID-19, we have around 400 to 600 per day, and we decreased to have only like 30 to 40 cases per day. In terms of staff, attending staff before COVID-19, we have six staffs per day, but we decreased to have like only two. And in terms of the trainees, resident and fellow, normally we have 15, we decreased to be uh, four to five trainees for the OPD. And in terms of types of cases, we treat unlimited cases, but now we just only see cases of emergency, one eye patients and a few follow-up. In terms of operating room, we have, normally we have four rooms. Now we open only one to two rooms and we perform surgery for emergency, one eye, and some elective cases. And we perform PCR before surgery. We're starting to do, to do this just uh, maybe this week, maybe next week, yeah. And in terms of the RI clinic that I showed you before, our staff, 
in I department have to have a rotation over there started mid-March. We have uh, quite uh, many people in I department to see patients at the AI clinic already. So this is a kind of wrap up, well, give you a big picture of Thailand at the moment. Thank you. That's great. I, I think that between myself and Dr. Ho, we can order about a hundred of those boxes for injection. Um, it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, so, we can ship it to you. We can ship them to you. <laughs> that'd be great. Um, so before we go on to a, a, our, our discussion, uh, let's have uh, Dr. Ting uh, present on the situation in Singapore, and then we'll, we'll open it up for questions and, and just a, a casual conversation. Daniel? Thanks, Paul. Hi. Um, so um, I've, just, um, I've got a few slides to share as well. Um, it's Daniel Ting from Singapore. So right now, as uh, everyone um, already aware, Singapore was once ranked the second you know, highest um, you know, I mean, second highest country with the most uh, infected cases after uh, China. That was in January, and then uh, since then, we our, our cases has uh, not uh, escalated as uh, as fast. And uh, right now, we are experiencing the second surge in Singapore, and uh, with the imported cases from UK, uh, because a lot of the students from Singapore uh, are asked to return to Singapore. So literally we had the second surge um, over the last past uh, three to four weeks. And thankfully speaking, the death rate in Singapore right now is six, but uh, bearing in mind that Singapore is only a population of 5 million uh, people. And uh, right now um, we are currently at Doskin Orange. So Doskin actually stands for Disease Outbreak Response System Condition. And this is the uh, severity uh, grading that was um, adopted in Singapore after the SARS uh, outbreak that happens like more than 10 years ago. And uh, in, in terms of our border restriction, uh, right now we are uh, not allowing any visitors to come into Singapore apart from um, the citizens and the PR and permanent residents and the long-term pass holders. And uh, when they come back to Singapore, they are all placed in the hotels for 14 days for quarantine before they're allowed to um, be, uh, um, they're allowed to go home. And uh, in terms of the, um, the response, we have tightening up the response uh, as per three days ago, as you can see, uh, we currently are experiencing uh, this period called the circuit breaker. So we actually wanted to break the surge in Singapore. And then this period is gonna last about uh, four weeks until May 4th, uh, 2020. Literally all the schools are locked down now in Singapore and um, the restaurants and the food, uh, the F&B, um, the, the, the stores are only uh, allowed to sell the food for takeaways and deliveries, but not to actually, uh, you know, have it uh, 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 dine in. And uh, in terms of the schools are all uh, closed down and have been converted all to the virtual uh, uh, learning as well for the primary, secondary schools and the universities as well. The public services um, um, wise, um, the hospitals are still opening, the pharmacies are opening and the rest are still, uh, you know, um, operational. Um, in terms of the, um, the shopping malls attractions, they are all currently closed down as well. So in fact, Singapore also have this Infectious Disease Act to, uh, um, to really uh, tightening the, um, the, you know, the social dis uh, distancing and to make sure people actually do stay at home um, um, to mitigate the risk of the spread for the SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so basically we have uh, jointly together with uh, 15 uh, collaborators around the world from seven countries. We have uh, 
just published this uh, in ophthalmology as an editorial. Uh, basically, if you look at the country-wise on your left, uh, it goes from Australia, China, Italy, Korea, Singapore, UK, US, and then we actually uh, divided the table in terms of the protection uh, for ophthalmologists and protection for patients. And if you get uh, in terms of uh, you know the, the the types of the um, the types of the uh, protection that they are actually uh, doing. So face mask wise, uh, across all seven countries, all doctors are wearing face masks when they're seeing patients. And uh, in terms of the gloves, go, uh, the goggles, the cap, the gown. Um, so in short form, we call PPE, the personal protection equipment. Uh, as you can see, China and Italy, they are pretty, um, they're pretty aggressive uh, in view of the numbers as well. The rest of the, uh, the, rest of the countries around the world, they are, they are still, uh, only the ophthalmologist is wearing the mask. And in terms of the slit lamp shoe, I think all the countries are currently doing the slit lamp shoe uh, when they see patients in the eye, uh, the clinics, and all the uh, ophthalmologists and patients are asked to, uh, you know, test the temperature, uh, you know, uh, before they actually step into the premises. So um, in Singapore, uh, right now our services has cut down to 10 to 20% from the usual load, and we only see the emergency cases and only do the uh, emergency operations and uh, for PPE-wise, uh, we are only uh, using that uh, when we see uh, patients with confirmed COVID-19 or the suspected cases. And for general anesthesia cases, the GA cases, we are also uh, encourage the, uh, the surgeons to uh, apply the PPE, including the N95 mask. And all the research activities is uh, literally come to a halt. Um, and uh, the animal... Um, uh, animal lab wise, um, so only the very uh, one or two staff are allowed to go back uh, to the lab to actually uh, feed the animals to keep, the, uh, keep them going during this period of time. One of the um, things that is of interest to the viewership of this webinar around the world is, uh, and you guys alluded to it a little bit in terms of governmental structure, talking about penalties, um, talked a little bit about second surge. Uh, let me ask you that question about second surge. Why is it that second surge is always uh, blamed on those that are coming back into the country rather than just a breakout from those cases that are pre-existing in the country and just creating more contacts as there's liberalization of distancing? Yeah, I think um, we, uh, we attributed uh, to the imported cases just based on how um, the daily, uh, you know, the newly detected cases has actually taken like an exponential increase, uh, you know, since we invited, you know, the, uh, the UK students to come back. And in fact, when we actually quarantine them, um, these are the page, uh, these are the, um, the cases that have uh, been diagnosed as a positive COVID. So that, that alone kind of uh, give us an idea, you know, which cases are the imported cases and which are the, you know, the socially um, distributed cases. So yeah, so that um, so that, that 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 was the definition that we used in Singapore. How we kind of gauge whether you know the cases are uh, you know coming from uh, overseas or coming from locally. Sungyun, how about in in Korea, where Korea has done an incredible job of just suppressing the person-to-person -person transmission? There are things mm -hmm. that, for example, in the United States, are not so acceptable. Uh, location tracking of individuals, uh, <laughs> monitoring credit card transactions, but it seems to be very effective in identifying if someone was uh, positive 
and getting out to those that were in contact with them. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, there was a word that uh, we, uh, it is scary to, how can I say, get a disease. It is not scary to get a disease and it is scary to, how can I say, open my daily life to public. So there's a word in Korea. So in Korea, actually we experienced the epidemic of MERS, M-E-R-S, in 2015. And since then, we opened uh, the daily life, of, uh, the movement of the cases to the public, and it was effective. Yeah, I think, well, uh, I can share a little bit from Thailand. I think in Thailand, most of the cases in Bangkok, and we have a kind of, well, we have, uh, we didn't have too many cases, but in early March, we have a kind of boxing match and that boxing match is kind of uh, be a kind of spreaders in, in Thailand. And many people from that boxing match just go back to spread their virus in their own province. But actually, we can trace our cases quite well in uh, other provinces or even in community because we have a kind of, we call uh, volunteer, uh, village health volunteers in each of the, I mean, district of the province we have one or two village health volunteers. So, so they can track all those cases uh, down deep down into like the district. I think this is a kind of effective way in Thailand to, I mean, to track all those cases without using the uh, kind of technology to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, along this line, so first off, just to direct uh, for the audience. Um, so now we're at a place where we're sort of opening up for questions. So for anyone who's actually listening or, or watching live, please feel free to, to write any questions in, in the chat area and we can address it to our panelists. Um, you know, to Alan's point, you know, one of the things that we're, we're interested in is, you know, obviously, Daniel, you have this quarantine, right, that people will accept that they will stay in a hotel for two weeks when they come into the country. And I, I guess for the whole panel, for Sung Young and for Dr. Paisan, are you also quarantining people from outside the country? And how effective is that? You know, what's the government response you know, to, to this pandemic? So you have a lot of experience, I think, historically with, with SARS and MERS and, and these, other, these other issues. Well, in Thailand, we do the same thing. Yeah, we quarantine people who come from overseas. Even though the Thai people who just come back from overseas, we quarantine them in a hotel for like two weeks. The same thing, yeah, yeah. Yes, self-isolation for two weeks is mandatory in Korea also. But is that at home or is that in some other location? So for Korean at home and for foreign people, it's at a hotel or a youth hostel. So it costs like a, a hundred US dollar for a day. Oh, they have to pay? Yes, it's like a hotel. So the foreign people have to pay for their stay. Yeah. I see, I see. So Daniel, one of the interesting things in your paper is the variability in how people are using PPE, right? So for the physicians. Yeah. Um, and you know, I talked to Steve Yang and to some others you know, who, who were, were on that paper. And it's interesting because even in the United States, there's a lot of 
depending on where you are, right? There's no, there's no conformity necessarily on what PPE to use. Can, can all of you just comment on that in your countries? I think like the PPE globally, we know is, is uh, well, we, we, we're having a sh uh, shortages of PPE, but Singapore wise, I think um, we are uh, pretty cautious in terms of uh, choosing the right and the appropriate cases to use PPE. So um, PPE, as I said uh, before, like uh, we only use PPE for COVID-19 uh, positive or the suspected cases. Um, and then the other uh, scenario that we use is um, uh, on the GA cases. And we ask, you know, we, we are currently trying very hard not to do any GA cases if, uh, if possible. And, um, and, um, and the surgeons generally do not actually go into the intubation rooms, that kind of thing. So th those are the, the few precautions that we actually, uh, you know, doing in Singapore in order to limit the use, but while um, uh, still use it when uh, it's necessary, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we, we've had cases here in Chicago where patients are asymptomatic when they come mm -hmm. in. And yeah. this, was, this was early on, this was about three or four weeks ago. And, Two days later, they were positive and they were sick. And those, we know now that these patients can shed, right? And right. you don't really know. So that, that's an interesting discussion because if you're not wearing PPE for asymptomatic patients, how do you know that they're not asymptomatic carriers? So you know, how, about, how about you in Korea? So in Korea, if, um, if there's a positive case, the government search at their contact just before the date of uh, confirmation. So we can know who uh, was the asymptomatic cases. And also we wear, uh, the, everybody in the hospital should wear the mask if you want to come into a hospital. And uh, usually the uh, and the, from the first day, the government uh, it was mandatory to wear the mask, the medical person. Okay. Can I just uh, one, respond to what uh, David has, uh, um, I mean, uh, Paul has just said. Um, basically, we, um, there's a case uh, in Singapore where the patient was actually asymptomatic, like you said, and then uh, it was actually later found out um, about uh, 24 hours later. So literally, uh, the patient uh, needed intubations, and you know, so he actually, um, and and then, um, and then uh, went into ICU, and the 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 staff uh, um, uh, do before the the COVID nineteen was uh, uh, diagnosed. All the stuff was literally wearing the face mask and practicing, you know, the, the, the hand hygiene and stuff. So I think that, that actually brings back to the point where, um, you know, so you can't really, uh, you, you, you have rightly pointed out, you could actually be seeing a patient with uh, 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 COVID-19 positive, but with no symptoms at all. But so long as you actually are wearing your mask and practice with really good hand hygiene and stuff, that would really mitigate the risk uh, by a lot. You know, yeah. So I think that that is something that, uh, as a clinician, we 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 do have to be very uh, careful about. Yeah. yeah. Presuming that your surgical patients are COVID positive is one way to right. approach the problem. Everyone's COVID positive. Right. Right. Practice exactly. this way. One other um, pearl uh, from other um, speakers in this series on COVID nineteen around the world is that when you have a case with general anesthesia, because aerosolization occurs during intubation all the surgeons and all the staff get out of the room. The anesthesia staff only, you limit the number of people that are exposed during intubation, and then you let the air clear 
in your operating room right. as it cycles through right. and then wait a few minutes before you go back in. I think that's, that's probably a good yeah. way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, in Thailand, some hostel that have a negative pressure room in the OR, they just bring the patient to, into bed in a negative pressure room and then brought the patient back to the med OR. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about culture, uh, civil liberties. Um, Daniel's study showed that in, in countries where the disease death rates were, were higher, you're wearing more protective gear. In the, in the Uni in United States, I'm just going to bring up one issue in terms of culture and how to control this pandemic. We're shifting toward from away from a mask-free society to a suggestion by leadership in this country that everyone wear masks when they go outside. It's a very, very different thing. It's something that's more familiar in Asia, a cultural difference that may be important in reducing person-to-person -person transmission. Many of you have lived in the United States for a while and of course in your homeland. And I'd just like you to speak a little bit, maybe something you can tell us a little bit about what your feelings are on that? Yeah, actually, I wear the masks before this COVID-19. After birth, I wear the masks in the clinic also. And actually, I usually wear my mask uh, in a long flight for the humidification. And actually, I wear the mask um, in US, Atlanta, only February. At that time, I had to take that off because nobody wear masks in Atlanta uh, airport. And I think uh, that because of air pollution, so in Korea, many people wears the mask even before the COVID-19 or MERS. But after the MERS MERS uh, epidemic, um, many people wear the mask, uh, especially in springtime for the air pollution. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing in, in Thailand. In Bangkok, we have a kind of a pretty bad pollution, air pollution since January. And we keep wearing masks since uh, before this COVID-19. And we just keep continue wearing masks when this outbreak happened. And the air pollution happened like uh, for about two years already. So people here kind of get used to wearing masks. But we don't normally wear it every day. We just wear it during the winter time. That's about it. Daniel? Yeah, same for Singapore. Um, actually, quite, it was quite interesting because I, I just actually returned, uh, recently returned from London to Singapore. So I, uh, in the Heathrow Airport, as you know, like um, London was uh, hit uh, recently, but before that, that was like, you know, the Asian disease, like, you know, um, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and and um, you would really be quite uh, going back to the cultural thing that you uh, you were mentioning. I was um, I was really like waving up whether I should actually wear a mask in the Heathrow Airport because I'm not sure whether you guys read the news about how the Chinese um, the uh, Singaporean has been uh, beaten up in uh, the Oxford Street in UK uh, for some racism issues about the COVID nineteen. So because of that, I think. Um, that kind of uh, put, you know, uh, uh, make people uh, really fearful about being uh, labeled as, uh, you know, the COVID uh, suspect, uh, you know, while you're walking on the street. Whereas in the airport, I, I think 
just because of the the risk of uh, not knowing what, you know who's got uh, who's gonna have COVID nineteen or not. I, I got no choice, but I, I told myself I'm just gonna put the mask and like you know get through the gates and uh, yeah and go on board. And when I come back to Singapore, and then you know um, of course I. The, the wearing mask is like a norm here already because Singapore has actually uh, started having the cases like, uh, uh, well, I mean, three or four weeks before the UK. So yeah, literally, uh, I, I agree, like the culture does actually make a shape. But I, I, I'm pretty sure everyone around the world uh, today actually do not see wearing a mask is a, is a, is a problematic uh, you know, issue anymore. All right. The culture is definitely shifting uh, right. here in the United right. States as we see Right. Most people out in public now wearing masks, at least in in urban settings. So, Paul, did right. you want to uh, see if there are any questions from the audience for our well, panel? So a couple questions. So one is about the box, right? So Dr. Paisan, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because I think a lot of us who are doing injections, you know, we still do injections every day. Uh, you know, one, when did you build that box? I mean, is that something that you had before COVID nineteen? How did you do it and you know, the, the utility? I mean, was it custom made? Can you buy it? Um, and Alan, I guess one of the questions, is anyone doing something like that in the US? Well, this is uh, custom made from my hostel, the Raspberry Hostel. We have a, a department of uh, medical equipment mm -hmm. and they're building a lot of things, a lot of stuff. And I think this box is not uh, difficult to to make. You just measure the the width and the height, and they just made it. But exactly, this is not before COVID nineteen. This is just for yeah for COVID nineteen. I think well, um, what I can do is that I can well if you guys are interested in, and I guess many many people may be interested in. I can maybe just uh, lay out the how to do this, maybe in some website or something or somewhere else for you guys or some people who are interested in it's not not difficult to, to make yeah we don't have that 3d printing technology here in the united states so congratulations on that if, if it helps uh ease people's minds we have we were talking about uh differences we're going to wind up pretty soon here but there are cultural differences but there are also societal differences that allow some of the asian countries to be much more uh, effective in limiting person-to-person -person transmission. For example, uh, the the willingness, uh, which is very foreign here, if the government was tracking you, uh, tracking, so identify asymptomatic carriers that become positive, then identify who was around them by uh, cell phone location, credit card transaction. Here in the United States, that would be, I would say right now, over the bounds of where our country would would be willing to go but maybe yeah. it's some it's it's not an issue of conformity but it's effectiveness really that's that's been shown do you want yes. to speak to that so yeah so that's a cdc um uh, intensively searched at the credit card transmission uh, transaction and cctv and uh, the patient declaration. So I think the Korean government intensively investigated the uh, contact cases. And, and, and I think that was, uh, we believe uh, that uh, it was very, uh, it has been effective to reduce the number of cases. I see. 
Singapore has been known for that kind of uh, governmental structure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Daniel, we, you know, we're, we're happy for you that it works for some things, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it would work here, at least for now. Maybe you guys can share uh, on last comments, how you're, since you're ahead of us in timeline, how your countries are going to open up again. And you spoke to second wave, how will this, how will you open up your clinics? How do you think the society is going to open up? Well, I think like uh, we have just uh, started like the, the, you know, the circuit uh, breaker that I've just mentioned. So for the next three weeks, uh, it's very unlikely that uh, we're going to open up uh, that soon, especially uh, we just recently also found that there's a, um, there's a, the, the second search is uh, uh, actually that we're actually experiencing the third search. Um, so the second search was the imported, uh, you know, the, the students, the UKs, you know, that we actually asked them to come back. The third search, in fact, we have just recently found that um, the foreign workers you know, in Singapore uh, has been found to be uh, COVID-19 positive. And in fact, within the dormitory itself, there's about 20,000 foreign workers there. So the cases is quite likely to still, um, you know, um, uh, is, is, is still likely going to increase over the next uh, couple of weeks. And um, I think the situation in Singapore can actually swing either way. So it could, um, the, the measure, as you can see, we still haven't quite gone into the Doskin red yet, which is the most severe, um, the category. But there may be a chance that we can, we can potentially go into that if the number of search is actually increasing. So yeah, so I think... Um, uh, it's really unlikely that uh, Singapore is going to open up uh, at least for the next uh, one to two months period. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with Daniel. I think as long as there's still like a lot of cases in many, many countries, there's still many deaths, there's still a lot of new cases in many countries. I don't think, well, we can, well, a single or a few countries can open it up and live in normal life. I think this is the world, the world disease. So I think we're going to get back into normal life once I mean, majority of the country have maybe around like two digit number of new cases, the whole country in the world. I don't know what's going to be, when it's going to be. I'm not sure. Yes. In terms of Thailand? Yeah. Sure. No, so you, yeah. Know, you, you talk about, it's interesting because you, you have a, it sounds like you all have a little bit of a more conservative approach to opening it up, right? Which, right, right, which then yeah. brings us to this whole financial aspect, right? And how this mm -hmm. is impacting your economy, you know, and, and your practices. And, and I'm curious as to how you're mitigating that, those issues um, within your practices, but also within your government. Yeah, so I think Singapore has uh, mobilized um, a lot of uh, government funding, like billions of dollars we're talking about to really help the, um, the you know, um, firstly, like the people who are not uh, able to work um, to make sure they're still, uh, you know, that we're giving them, you know, a, a very small amount of stipend, you know, a couple hundred dollars um, to actually make sure they, 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 um, they, are, they, they can actually, uh, you know, still uh, live the, no well, not the normal life, the subnormal uh, life for uh, during this period of time. 
And in terms of the, the clinic numbers, um, the hospital-wise, we are also uh, have already preempted the employees that, you know, the salary, the income, and, you know, the year-end, uh, the bonuses and stuff is all going to be uh, reduced. Uh, but compared to other sectors, the healthcare, um, the personnel, we really consider quite lucky in a way because, you know, um, the, the health services still needs to uh, continue. Uh, and I, I think the airline is uh, one of the one that has, um, is getting hit the worst, uh, you know, in the whole industry uh, at the moment, because, um, you know, the Singapore airline, as you know, we have uh, actually uh, literally asked like 50, 60% of the, 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 the ground staff, the, you know, the crews to, uh, you know, to, 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 to go on the no, uh, no paid leave and stuff. So I think um, the financial sector is uh, taking a really, uh, you know, the, the major uh, impact, uh, you know, uh, on, on, on the COVID uh, period. Yeah. It's uh, really fascinating yeah. to hear these aspects from, from different parts of the world. And just the mask issue highlights cultural differences, speaks to underlying societal differences in how you're handling things. I think we're going to shift from a mask-free society here to a, a mask society, not, not as viewing as, oh, it's Paul Chan. Of course he's wearing a mask because he's Asian, or Alan Ho is wearing a mask because he's Asian or he's sick, it, but it's, it's an idea of consideration of others, of being um, cooperative with others, particularly in light of, and maybe even beyond the acute phase of this, of this pandemic. So um, you guys were great. Paul, Paul has been a great moderator, co-moderator, and I wanna thank you all in the audience uh, for being with us. Uh, COVID-19 coverage around the world is going to continue, and uh, we look forward to more communications with everyone. Thank you very much. Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson & Johnson Vision Tier Science, Airy, Novartis, in Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Brynmar Communications LLC, here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, in this webcast podcast.